folklore, the beliefs, traditions and culture of the people. Passed on in the most part through the spoken word, folklore expresses our values, our shared ideas with others. It is both how we were and how we are. Without a record, our customs and traditions may become lost to us in the present, but under the surface, we still draw on them. We still know. It's time to recall our forgotten history and to record the new. This is the Folklore Podcast. Welcome to episode 16 of the Folklore Podcast, Incubi and Succubi. My name's Mark Norman, I'm a folklore writer and researcher. In my last episode of the Folklore Podcast, we looked at some of the general folklore which formed around the medical condition of sleep paralysis as a mechanism to explain the events people suffered. In this second part, we look at some of this folklore in more detail, And then, as a bonus feature, we move on from talking about the incubus and succubus to talking to Incubus Succubus, the pagan rock band who took their name from this phenomenon. Of all the things that led to accusations of witchcraft in the early modern period, sickness in animals, ill fortune and the like, the most likely causes would be where the victim suffered physical trauma or mental illness. Often coupled with these would be the supernatural visionary appearance of the witch to the victim, usually in the bedchamber at night. We find it reported in Salem, in the witch trials of Scotland and in many other examples. Where a physical attack is said to follow, we find a direct parallel with later old hag appearances in paralysis episodes. The hag trope leads neatly from these earlier accusations. We have previously discussed the etymology of the mare, much of which refers to the pressure on the chest of the sleeper. Over time, in some cultures, the language took on the witch aspect more explicitly. The German Hexendrucken, for example, translates as witch-pressing, and the Hungarian Bozokani Nyomas also means witch's pressure. The similar idea of being straddled emerging from the earlier sexual demon law, which we will return to later, leads to the terms witch-ridden or hag-ridden in both England and Newfoundland. Because the rise of the herbalists, wise women or traditional practitioners in the early modern period, began to lead to a mistrust of the witch, it was inevitable that this figure should come to represent supernatural evil, and so the incubus and succubus naturally came to be replaced as the cause or scapegoat in paralysis episodes. The folklore between the mare and the witch began to combine and morph into characters such as the Morica from Dalmatian beliefs, a girl who was born with a red call and became a witch when she married, or the Polish Zmora, a living person who would visit others in their sleep in the same manner as the old hag. 
Even the Norwegian Mara shows witchcraft parallels, where she may be one of seven daughters. We find the motif of the seventh often, of course, in witch lore. So, as the folklore changes and reshapes in that fluid way that beliefs do, the image of the witch as the old hag in this phenomenon begins to be cited more in the witch trial transcripts. Salem is, of course, the most well-known, as I mentioned earlier. One of the women accused of this was Susanna Martin. Bernard Peach's deposition tells how she came in and jumped down upon the floor. She took hold of this deponent's feet, and drawing his body up into a heap, she lay upon him near two hours, in all which time he could neither speak nor stir. Many of the English and Scottish trials follow similar lines. Even where the physical aspects are not listed so explicitly, the language suggests that depositions are referring to old hag syndrome. Testimony against Anne Wagg in 1650 says that it was known that a sick child was witch-ridden because she could not speak. There are multiple examples where victims dispel an attack by making the sign of the cross with their tongue because the rest of their body is paralysed. Although Old Hag Syndrome provided confirmation of bewitching for victims in less enlightened times, the courts and lawyers were actually relatively cautious about accepting the evidence. Of course, nothing can stand in the way of moral panic, and the Salem trials aptly demonstrated this. Interestingly, in parallel to this, some began to see the phenomenon as a medical condition. Elizabethan sceptic Reginald Scott said that, In truth, this incubus is a bodily disease. Swiss minister Ludwig Lavater, writing on nocturnal spirits, made a similar observation. One medical, with the term firmly in inverted commas, explanation for nightmares, traditionally, is that cheese causes them due to its indigestible nature. It is therefore very much linked to this phenomenon. The idea that witches are transforming their victims into beasts of burden before riding them goes back to Homer. Cheese in folklore often signifies both women and sex. Apuleius uses the term to signify women as sexual partners in the same way that crumpet is used as British slang. Shakespeare uses it in The Merry Wives of Windsor, and the Grimm brothers note that German monks were known as cheese hunters in medieval times. In Britain, two women kissing were known as cheese and cheese. In the year 1204, an Irish chieftain who became known as Cheese Guzzler O'Rourke died of a surfeit of sex. Although his partner was most definitely flesh and blood, the manner of the event shows marked similarities to the symbol of the witch mare. This cheese symbolism relates back to the same interpretations of the mare as incubi attacks. Hildegard of Bingen attributed these sexual aspects to the demon exploiting the trace of sin left behind from the act of intercourse that caused the person's conception. She also referred to this as coagulation, which again harks to cheese-making. More links between indigestion, often caused by cheese, and the old hag attack come from Scandinavian tradition, where we also find more interesting etymological links. Here, the creature known as the hug 
denoted desire or will, and was an aspect of the self that could affect other bodies. From the hug, we find the term hig in Northern English dialect, meaning a fit of passion. A powerful hug could cause cattle to sicken or milk to sour in the manner of accusations of bewitching. The strongest was a re-hug, which translates as riding hug. It visits people in a nightmare. The hug could appear in various forms, including a thick mist. Interestingly, in Northern England, a thick mist is called a hag. We find sexual aspects of night visitations in some of the witch trial documents, and these naturally draw on the older demonic lore of the incubus and succubus. The sexual element is actually much older than this. A 7th century Greek medical encyclopedia notes that some imagine often that they even hear the person who is going to press them down, that he offers lustful violence to them. In part one of this podcast, I suggested that incubus law was drawn on as a way of explaining attacks by figures in authority. This is the case in a 1640 episode of sexual attack and alleged possession from Louvier, where a priest, Father Picard, molested some of the nuns. After the attacks, one reported how a tremendous weight rested on my shoulders so that I thought I was going to choke. Another said she found the incubus of a cat in indecent postures, with a huge penis like a man's. Demonic sexual attack was reported to be an unpleasant affair, uncomfortable and with the devil's semen being cold. This is borne out not only in medieval witch trial transcripts, but also in modern sleep paralysis surveys. Records of men describing sexual activity in paralysis episodes are more rare, but Professor Owen Davis highlights a good one from the year 1684. A footman, employed by a West Country noble, was observed lying in bed in a violent sweat with staring eyes after having been sent to bed with a headache. When he woke, he described two women who had entered his chamber. They endeavoured to come into the bed with him. He resisted with all the power he could, striking at them several times with his fists but could feel nothing but empty shadows. He had contested so long with them that he concluded within himself he should die under their violences. During all that time he had no power to speak or call for aid. The roots of the incubus and succubus motif may come at least in part from the ancient Greek. Here, the empusai were the demonic daughters of the goddess Hecate. They were said to be able to turn themselves into bitches, cows or beautiful maidens, reminiscent of the maiden-mother crone aspects of the triple goddess with which Hecate may be associated. In these forms, they would lay with men at night and suck their life from them. There are similarities here with the Hungarian Lidurk, which we discussed in part one. As we have seen, records suggest that women were attacked by incubi far more than men were by succubi, and hence legends say that there was only one succubus to every nine incubi. Of course, this may be because the method of impregnation requires the incubus to work harder in the manner of a worker bee. 
The Malleus Maleficarum tells how the succubus would collect semen from the male victim, which the incubus would then take around to impregnate human women. This was how demons, traditionally impotent, were able to reproduce. King James, who wrote extensively on witches, demons and more in his tract Demonology, had similar, though slightly differing, views. He agreed that angels and demons as entities were incapable of reproduction, but then his suggestion was that the devil would intervene and use one of two methods to put seed into the human female. This would either be demonic intervention or possession. In the former case, King James postulated that the incubus and succubus were actually the same entity, two sides of the same demonic coin, transporting semen and impregnating the victim and essentially appearing differently in each stage of the process. In the latter case, the devil would actually enter the dead male body and cause it to rise by possession. In this state, the corpse may be found to be able to engage in intercourse with the living female. What James does not seem to suggest, however, is that this worked in reverse as an explanation for cases where a female entity engaged in unwanted relations with a male victim. What is in no doubt is that sleep paralysis, or old hag syndrome, is a very real condition which can be, and often is, terrifying for the sufferer. After the first part of this podcast, when I asked if anybody else had experiences with multiple hallucinations, I received what has to be classed as a terrifying and horrific example from a listener called Charmaine. She told me how, when she was a child, she suffered from sleep paralysis, but her hallucination was not of an old hag, but was of hundreds of bugs or spiders which would crawl all over her. Accompanying this, however, was the same pressure on the chest and difficulty in breathing. Charmaine was, as you would expect, very scared by these experiences and is glad to have now grown out of them. The incubus and succubus are, of course, two of the most well-known examples of sleep paralysis folklore motifs. It is from this motif that the well-known pagan rock band Incubus Succubus took their name back in the late 1980s. Since then, they have released many albums of music, with much of their material drawing on the themes of folklore and witchcraft, which are of interest to us as folklorists. Candia, Tony and Dean, the key members of Incubus Succubus, are also dedicated listeners of the Folklore podcast, and so, when we were both at the same event recently, I was able to sit down and interview them about their work and their interests in folklore. So, as a special bonus this month, here is their interview. Thank you for taking the time out after the gig that you've just played at the Witchcraft Museum in Boscastle. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. We loved it. As we are operating in the field of audio, maybe you'd like to just introduce yourselves and mm-hmm. say what you do within Incubus Succubus. Okay, my name's Candia, Candia McCormack, and I'm the singer and co-songwriter in Incubus Succubus. My name is Dean Rose, and I play bass and mess about a lot. And I'm Tony McCormack, and I'm the guitarist and the other co-songwriter. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Your band name, then, Incubus Succubus, is kind of the reason that I'm doing this interview now, because uh, 
when people listen to this, it will be part of the second part of a two-part podcast looking at old hag phenomena and mm. sleep paralysis. And in the first part of that podcast, we talked about the incubi and the succubi and that kind of demonic aspect. Yeah. Why did you choose this name for the band? That is an interesting one. I'd like to say it is because at the time, which was now, we're going back nearly 28 years, was because we were completely wrapped up with the whole phenomenon of um, incubi and succubi. It was slightly tongue-in-cheek as well. Um, It was partly us having a pop at the Catholic Church and the, and the whole thing about sort of medieval witchcraft and uh, the, the, the idea about if, if you were to fall pregnant, say if you were a, a member of the church, if you were a, a nun and you would fall pregnant, then you would blame it on an incubus. And so we, we, quite, we quite like the, the, the idea of that and play, playing around mm. it. So, I mean, essentially what we've always been interested in is witchcraft, the practice of it as, as being practicing witches ourselves, but also the history of witchcraft. Um, and, and, you know, the very serious um, aspect of it and the, the witch trials, witch persecutions and the, the hangings, and, but also having a bit of fun with that. We're not taking ourselves too seriously. And so that was that's, that's kind of why that was one mm. essence, one part that we latched onto, and also we we quite like the duality of it. Yeah, the the the, the, the sort of uh, dual sexuality within one one being, because um, like like the the the, the actual um, the aspect of it of which we actually played on when we actually chose chose the uh, name is where the the um, the alleged um, demon meets the monk seduces him he puts his semen in into her then it changes sex and then injects the same semen back into a nun and um which is you know quite sort of that humorous it's all incredibly convenient really absolutely absolutely And and we spoke about this um way of trusted people so yeah uh church members, members of your own family, yeah. perhaps important people then, yeah. you have this scapegoat option of being exactly, able to yeah. blame it on the... I, the I, I mean, like, since then, we, 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 with our songwriting, we, we, we've actually, you know, like, like visited the, 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 the aspect of, like, uh, repressed sexuality, creating demons, mm-hmm. and, and w- whether it's possible to actually, if there's enough uh, repression... Um, that it's possible to actually almost create an a, a natural entity which, which actually does things um, out of, um, you know, born out of sexual frustration or whether that is actually possible, you know, because it seems as if that is an aspect that does actually actually happen to people, you know, that, that they're so repressed that almost like a monster is created out of the... the, the um, ether that's there and then enters our world as a sort of sexual demon that's really interesting and and something that we've been looking at in the the second episode is is this kind of sexuality aspect of it so it's an interesting approach um 
We also looked at um, the Lidurk, which is uh, a variant on the incubus and succubus, which comes out of Hungarian folklore. And there's a bit of a crossover there because um, where the Lidurk sits on your chest in the same Mm. way as incubus and succubus, it then sucks your blood, which is not Mm. an aspect that you find in these other demonic aspects, but kind of... Um, there's a nice crossover with, mm. with the kind of more gothic part yeah. of, of your image, I guess, mm. there as well. well the, yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the very real phenomenon of sleep paralysis, which I think a lot of us have experienced. Have you? And yeah. Yeah. A, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it brings to mind the Henri Fuseli image of this this creature the, 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 the not being able to move try, try, yeah. trying to scream yeah. but but, but this weight on your on you know this yeah. pressure pressure on your chest and it you know it's it, there's nothing supernatural about that you know it's it's a well-known phenomenon that your body can go when you go into that, that deep state of sleep and that everything shuts down as a way of sort of protecting yourself so that you don't go and do something crazy. You know, you're having these extraordinary dreams and you don't run up and, do, and try and reenact them. And so your, your body shuts down and you can get to a point where you're feeling conscious, but your body actually can't move. And it, I had it only sort of uh, less than two weeks ago, wasn't it? And I, yeah. I, was there, I, was, you know, and I couldn't move. I was fully awake. Um, and it's, it's, it is an extraordinary, extraordinary sensation. But if, if you're aware of what's happening to you, then it's not a frightening thing at all. You think, okay, right, this is it. I just need to give it this time and you're going, you're going to come around. But if you weren't aware of that, you know, if you, if you, if you sort of take mm. yourself back hundreds mm. of years and sort of and people say, okay, what is this? Is this something bearing down on me? This is some creature. This is something I have no control over. Exactly, and it's, that's the difference, isn't it? Is that in modern times, obviously, yeah. we know about this medical aspect. Mm. Um, but yes, in, but it's in not to say that that's the case in every case, is it? I mean, possibly there are things that happen which are beyond the, the realms of our un- understanding, you know. There's, there's mm. this sort of um, things that can't really be completely e- yeah, e- explained. Well, yeah, and there is, there is that side of it, and there are some things that we will never be able to satisfactorily yeah. explain one way yeah. or the other. And this is where folklore kind of takes mm. a root in many it ways. It does, yeah. I, yeah. As well. I, I, I mean, most most contemporary European f- f- folklore has been created in a, an atmosphere of sexual re- repression. And I think you have to take that on board when you actually view it. Um, be, be, because... Um, repression can make people think and do things which you know which um, can you know seem extremely peculiar and mm. and uh, ab- abnormal but maybe the repression is the root of quite a lot of these things it's like poltergeist comes from come from um, girls reaching puberty yes and yeah. possibly it, it's the energy of, of that sexuality which creates the, the, the actual creature, as uh, for want of a better term. And maybe there, there, or there, there, there is like ether around us and that power gives something their power and can draw it in. And maybe this is why so much folklore comes out of 
places in history like the Victorian age yeah. where there is so much repression. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So turning to this kind of folkloric aspect, um, you draw a lot on your pagan roots we as do, part yeah. of your music, but then you also draw on a lot of folklore as mm. well mm. for some of your songs. What is it about this folklore side that is important to you and to what you do? I think essentially we're, that that's where we're rooted. That's that's almost like uh, our, that's the essence of our being. That's where everything stems from. Is um, it, it, it's almost it's quite difficult to put to put your finger on because it's so enmeshed in our psyche. Mm. Is the 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 folklore and being part of it. I mean, I, it, it depends whether you, whether you believe in the whole thing about you know previous lives and 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 um, taking memories from that. But um, essentially, these these things, if you if you don't look at them too closely, they all become very sort of interwoven. And the folklore of a land. I mean, it's, it's very important to feel a part of where you live. I, I think, and, and and so a lot of our songs are very much about Gloucestershire, about the um, the countryside, about the folklore, um, and about the land and and the, the River Severn, which is mm. a you know it's a it's it's a huge energy um, for me. So it's you know all these things stem from that the love of the land, the love of the story, the people of the land, and how those those stories change through time. And how they, they they organically develop and, and become entities of their own. Which is exactly what you're doing, of course, because in as you go back through history, folklore is disseminated in this mm. oral way mm. by storytelling, yeah. um, which is what you're doing mm. just through a different medium. So you're drawing on and adapting that. Folklore. Yeah, I mean, most of the um, well, quite a few of the songs are based on themes that we've heard from. You know, sort of pe- pe- people around us and family, and and um, they're just themes that have that we are just like part passing on, and maybe put putting a bit of ourselves in them as well. Which which is essentially what folklore is. It's about mm. generations putting a bit of themselves in it. Absolutely. And 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 maybe even a bit of the um, how society is at that time, and then. At that time, but also, yeah. you know, some some may be sort of ancient, but others yeah. are sort of contemporary. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, like sort of those may become the the, the future sort of folk tales. Yeah, which will become such cre- different creatures mm. with the telling. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, we're, we're sort of telling our versions of it mm. now, but you know, sort of give it a couple of hundred years. Yeah, and they become very, very different creatures again. Yes, exactly, and this is something that we've spoken about before: is that you draw on your own culture that's around mm. you when you interpret these mm. stories. So they will naturally adapt and change and develop over time. But then, if you hold with the philosophy, um, the Jungian philosophy of, of this folk memory mm. or this collective yeah. subconscious, yeah. then you're drawing on ancestral. Uh, back to prehistoric ideas that are rooted within your psyche, the psyche for yeah. want of a better term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yes, you are. You're drawing on this historic aspect, but you're also drawing on your modern mm. cultural aspect. And this is how this stories develop and change over time. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful thing, I think, isn't it? That, that, you know, it becomes its own being. Absolutely. Which is frightening in a way. <laughs> it's things taking on their life of their own, but also, you know, it's wonderful. You just seem to see it sort of creating it all instead of nothing else. And I think that's why people are, are still so fascinated with the, mm. the whole sphere of folklore. Um, you know, in one respect, mm. it's it's losing favour and it's no longer something that you can easily study at an academic level and, and as a discipline it's frowned upon by other areas mm. of history perhaps and, and anthropology and these sorts of areas. But in fact, the lay person has, still has a huge fascination mm. with it yeah. and still draws on it all the time. They just don't yeah. realise that they're doing it a lot of the time. Yeah. So what resonates for you three within folklore? Which are the areas that particularly um, interest you and, and help you develop your work? I, I, would, I would say I'm very interested in things that are very, very earthy. Really, really um, that almost don't don't seem on the face of it to have that much significance. I mean, um, how can I put this? Um, almost the mundane, hmm. but how how it can become something else that that. Um, um, no, I'm not explaining myself very well at all here. Um, but yeah, it's it's not the it's not the fantastic. It's things that are almost every, every day that become part of our, our everyday lives and that, that um, have a life of their own um, because we do them every... every and it so it's becomes, not the big things. It's, it's not the big it's, things. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not saying, yes, mermaids are fascinating no, no. No. And, mm. and these kind of mythical creatures and these big areas of folklore. It's the kind of, why do we do that mm. on a day-to-day -day basis? Why mm. are we remembering Thank you. this? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm yeah. catching yeah, you. Yeah, I'm for, for myself, I, I'm, I'm sort of quite interested in like, um, historical cases of things which have happened. Uh, for instance, uh, like, like um, you know how people were buried with rocks in their mouths to prevent them from coming back from the uh, dead? Yes. Now, that must have been a real fear. So... Is there something behind that? Did that happen? Yeah, and and um, there's even in like where we're f well, well, where I'm from, uh, Cheltenham, there, 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 there are records of people being impaled with live stakes of living wood. So people must have really had a fear of vampires back then. Mm -hmm. And it's all sort of, uh, it's now it's sort of uh, forgotten in, in time, but there must have been a reason for it. And that's what I'm sort of like... You know that that's sort of what I'm uh, concerned about. Is 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 what are the real stories behind this? You know what really happened. Sort of why were people really that scared? You know, um, something must have been happening at certain times when the, the, there were you know the resurrected dead come coming back or seem 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 to be something must have happened, and it's things like that which I find quite fa fascinating that we don't know what really happened and there's no way of really fight, fight, finding out but something must have take, take, taken place you know and uh, it's like um, the stones in, in, in the mouth I mean it was uh, going back to the, the, the dark ages in Ireland in Poland and it's 
it's across the whole of you know the West, Western world, and um, these things happened. Now, what was the the real cause? Was it um, you know mouldy bread or was it fungus in in the drinking water? It's, you know, I think that that is a, a very fascinating field. It is, isn't it? It's how these practices develop yeah. and how they travel from yeah. from place to place and how we can track them. Yeah. But again, it's that knowledge of physiological things. We know what happens after the body, after death. Yeah. And mm. why, you know, like rigor mortis, you know, what, how the body can change and how mm. it can, you know, sort of, it can, it can stiffen, it can soften, it's, you know, the, the, the pallor can change. And the, it's, it's these things that we can know now, which obviously weren't known then. So do you think we're in a different area now where, because we now understand so much more about the world around us, does that mean that our folklore doesn't develop in the same way? Well, I think possibly it does, but it's it's on a, a different lines. I think that there's a lot of contemporary folk folklore to do with even things like computers and surveillance systems that maybe are not really there, but people start talking about them, and they it's almost as if there's the bogeyman now is some world power that is spying on you, you know, and it's the same sort of thing as the devil was a hundred years ago. It's now, it's the uh, I- Illuminati, it's them, and it's some, some sort of a, a, a advanced alien race It's actually spying on us, whereas in the past it was demons. Yes, it's the same themes, isn't it? It's the same it? themes, and, and it's all the you're same themes. adapting to your culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's the people who were taken to the fairy realm versus mm. people who were abducted by well, aliens yeah. versus some kind of cyberspace thing in the future that's going but, to but take But does around. it mean that these things possibly do take place because they're consistent? Mm. And, um, and then it's just that they are interpreted... Um, depending on the culture of the time. Well, the thing is that there, there are so many things we can explain away now. There is, that, that there's a lot we do know. That obviously, medieval times they don't, but there are a lot of things we don't. And which is why I, I, I firmly believe magic is around us, mm. and that we we can make change happen. And I don't know why, but I I, I, I firmly believe that happens. So so there are still there is still mystery. There is still magic. There is yeah. still things that we don't understand. And that will always be the case. Always be mm-hmm. the case. Yeah. The more we learn about something, but then there will be something further on. So there always yeah. there'll be something beyond our, our reach, which is wonderful. And yeah. it should always mm. be. So there will always be magic, which is I think it's important. And that's why we're looking mm. at such a fascinating area. Mm. Finally then... If there is one piece of folklore that you would like, you're, you listen to the podcast, I know yes. you've told me this. So if there is one piece of folklore that you would like to hear us talk about in the future, what would that be? I think it might be quite interesting to um, do one, which is based on the... Because there's this common cultural theme about this zombie uh, apocalypse which is going to take place. And where does this actually stem from? Because I feel it is part of... Um, it comes from this idea in Christianity that everybody's going to come back 
and along the line it's become distorted and uh, it's like an ongoing like theme that is like crops up mm. through throughout um well, certainly throughout the last thousand years. And I think that that might be an interesting theme because it's such a, um, it's like where, 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 when I was growing up, when I was a young kid, the future was all bright and rosy, we wouldn't be on Mars and now. And now there's this apocalyptic world inhabited by zombies on The Walking Dead. And, 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 and I think that that would be quite an, an interesting theme to, to actually see where that actually possibly came from. Excellent. Why okay. do people think that, you know? Zombies, then. Zombies are mm. on the list. Anything else? Uh, do you know, I'd back that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not necessarily zombies, but the whole apocalypse, the whole thing that is going, going on there and has been going on yeah. for, for a couple of decades now, I, I would say. This, this feeling that something is in, something is in the air that's... Mm. It's, it, it's a big change. It's not the end of the world, it's, but some, there is a big change coming. Excellent. You know. Why? why? The folklore what of the apocalypse, then. Yeah. We will look at yeah. that. Brilliant. Thank you for taking the time to talk. Thank you for spreading folklore to more and more people through your own medium. You've yeah. been doing it Thank for you. a number of years. Please carry yeah. on. We will do. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I am hugely grateful to Incubus Succubus for taking the time to talk to me, and also for allowing me permission to use their music in the podcast. And so, to close, here is part of the recording that I made in January of this year, as Incubus Succubus played an acoustic set at the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in Cornwall. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
The Folklore Podcast is created and hosted by me, Mark Norman. Find out more about my writing and research at www.facebook.com slash marknormanfolklore. The Folklore Podcast art director is Melissa Martell. Find her work at www.mdmcreate.com. The Folklore Podcast will always be free to listen to, but it is an enormous amount of work to research, create, record and write two of these episodes every month. And so, we have created a simple way in which you can help to support the ongoing life of the Folklore Podcast. Please visit our website at www.thefolklorepodcast.com and click on support. There are various ways that you can help, and they don't all involve giving us money. Even just leaving a simple review on iTunes or other podcast apps helps to grow our audience. So please do visit and take a moment to help us to keep going. Thank you for listening. The Folklore Podcast theme music is written and performed by Gurdy Bird.